Hi, Matthew uh, and subscribers. My name is Bob Cachelaris. I'm the Chief Executive Officer and Managing Director of Andromeda Metals. Um, I joined the company April 1st of this year and pleased uh, to announce uh, setting a new enterprise value for our company, a new pathway forward via our updated uh, DFS, which we just issued. And our deposit is located Really, the last great white mineral deposit is located in the Arab Peninsula in South Australia, and happy to tell you more about it. Yeah, great, Kismi, Bob. We've not met or spoken before. Uh, I think we're dealing with dealing with Mr. Marsh before you. Um, so, tell us a little bit about you. Where are you from? What's your background? Yeah, Matthew. I'm uh, I'm I'm Greek. Was born in Montreal, uh, Canada. I uh, raised um, raised there. Spent. Parts of my career in the U.S., China, Chile, uh, partly with Rio Tinto, uh, Nearstar, Rusal, others, and spent about half my career in industrial minerals. So uh, excited, to sort of come full circle and and uh, and really be part of this uh, of this industrial minerals uh, opportunity here in South Australia. Okay, and what's the brief? What was your brief? What have you been brought in to trying to do? Obviously, clearly the DFS was sort of well underway before you arrived, but what's the company hoping to get from you? Matthew, really the key focus is commercializing the project, right? Is really understanding, you know, where we want to play, when, with whom, and why, and really understanding the value and use of this unique deposit. You know, we looked at a lot of different segments. We looked at paper, we looked at plastics, we looked at fillers. We we ended in uh, and settled on, you know, high-end ceramic porcelain tiles who have very, very unique value and use, very high value, and porcelainware, right, uh, which is... A uh, result of the very high halocyte mechanical strength that we have in our product. So, very rigorous piece of work and really underpinned the new valuation of our company and a lot of commercial and market interest in um, in, the, in the products. Right. Okay. And we'll get on to the commercial bit in, in a second. So, I guess you better head us up with those um, DFS uh, numbers that you seem quite pleased with. Uh, what, what do we need to know? So look about a about a seventy percent increase in in value, uh, just a little bit north uh, north of a billion, you know, uh, a steady state run of one hundred thirty million EBITDA, um, really an excellent product portfolio, lower operating costs, lower capital costs, um, good mining costs, and uh, <clears throat> fully permitted, and uh, and shovel ready uh, in terms of uh, in terms of where we're at. So. We pulled all that together, and um, yeah, it was a really, really good lift to to the valuation of the company. But more importantly, a very clear pathway to commercializing, uh, you know, such a such a massive deposit in the, in that part of the world. Okay, and maybe maybe now's the time to talk about the kind of commercialization component because I, I what where I want to go is you know how, how do you pay for this thing you know, you know um, where's the money coming from etc. So. Um, with with regards to the focus, you're talking about this as being the great white deposit. In fact, let's start with that. What when, what's great white deposit? What do you mean by that? Well, Matthew, it's a kaolin deposit, right? So there are a few, if any, kaolin deposits left in the world, about 36% aluminum. The one major deposit was located in Ukraine, of course, with the geopolitical crisis. A lot of that materials come off the market. So it's just us and, and very few others. More, more interestingly, interestingly and importantly, you know, there are no other 36 or 37% deposits announced uh, coming forward. So it's a unique wet minerals deposit that can be in the tile, on top of the tile, in porcelainware, has great color, great chemistry, great mechanical properties, and it, it exists in South Australia with probably another 100 million tons to the north of us 
and I think 100 million tons to the south of us. So we're really building an industry. Right? It's an industry in, 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 uh, in the Air Peninsula. So we're very excited about that. Okay, and so the market that you've decided to go for Asian ceramic tiles, so we better try and understand a little bit about the size, scale, and opportunity of that. And if you don't mind, I'd love to actually understand which, you know, which uh, MOUs, LOIs, or contracts you've actually got in place uh, at the moment. So, Matthew, what we did, what we did was was a key part of our strategies. We said, look, these tiles, these large format, you know, wall tiles and exterior and interior tiles, very expensive, very high end. They are formulated almost exclusively in Spain and Italy. So we validated our product in that market, right? So if you can imagine all those formulations for these high-end products that can be made in Southeast Asia, China, Japan, and elsewhere, but the home of the formulation, the digital printing, the technology is in the Mediterranean. So we, you know, we launched a very aggressive, very engaging program with select partners to validate, test, and establish the value and use. What's the price point? What's the value of this Australian kaolin in your tiles? Where would you use it? Do you use it on the glazes? Do you use it in the tile? And uh, we completed that work and it, it really generated a lot of commercial interest, both from the European side, both from the Chinese side, and both from the Southeast Asian side. Okay, but but you, you validated it in the Mediterranean, but you are aiming for the Asian market? Absolutely. Southeast Asia, China, Japan are going to be our home market. We'll continue to have a part of our production servicing the Mediterranean because we want to be part of the existing and new formulations, right? You see these tiles coming out all the time. They look like, they can look like wood, leather, uh, textiles. It's incredible what the digital printing technology can do and, and how people are using them instead of dimensional stone, instead of wood. And uh, you know we're, we're we're happy to see that we not only are benchmarked against the best industrial minerals in the world, but there's also an opportunity for us to replace certain minerals that are significantly higher value in that value chain, and that's what we're working on currently. Right. So, are there any contracts in place at the moment? Yes, we have a, a excellent tier one um, a porcelain contract with probably the lead the leading uh, distributor of porcelain uh, minerals in the Japanese market, uh, typical, you know, dinnerware, porcelainware, noritake, these, these brands were very, very pleased to have that uh, in place. We have a big part of our Chinese business uh, with FG, which is a tier one distributor producer also uh, of equipment in this, um, uh, in this market. That's in place as well. And most interestingly, we have um, a letter of intent that we're hoping to finalize here at the end of September with probably the leading formulator of industrial minerals for tiles in Spain, in the Spanish and Mediterranean area, which is Ibero Clays, a very important partner for us, also did, who did the majority of the benchmark, benchmarking uh, for us. And so we're looking forward to wrapping that up at the Italian Ceramic Show, uh, which will be held in Bologna this year. Um, the 25th through the 29th. Okay, so obviously you've kind of got to go through a phase of proving to them that you're actually going to be able to build the thing, get into production and deliver to their specifications. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that that journey, which is going to get you to a point where you can get you know, binding LOIs, binding contracts with a value attached to them. So what are the phases you've got to get through? So the last phase of the work, Matthew, will be wrapped up by mid-September, right? And this is an understanding of exactly how the product 
you know, what kind of value does it create on the surface of the tile, the center of the top, all that will be wrapped up by two independent studies that we're doing in Spain. And that will be shared with a variety of different customers who are, you know, who we're in discussion with. But as we're discussing price points and value, you know, that's the type of work we want to lean on. Kaolin is not copper, it's not gold. You can't go to the LME, see a price point. You really have to establish that value and use yourself, right? And then, and then discuss that depending on what type of tiles are being made, so forth and so on. We also have a second group of products that are exceptional for decarbonizing cement. They have unique rheological properties. There's such a big push on on uh, carbon footprint and and decarbonizing. You know, a big part of the cement sector. Big issues in Europe with carbon credits, but even here back home, you know, uh, low fine cement, low carbon cement, rheology modifications for our building products and creating a lower carbon footprint is a key area of focus for the entire building sector. So we're participating in that, and that validation is sort of one step behind where we are in ceramics, but also a key part of the value of the value and the enterprise valuation of our company going forward. I understand. So I guess what I'm, what I'm trying to get at is in terms of if you've been brought on to like the kind of commercialization component of this, I'd like sort of line of sight as to what you view, what you would view as, you know, a successful process. Um, because you're new, you've got to establish yourself, establish yourself, people have got to test your products, get comfortable with it. And then you've got to, you know, obviously ramp up the, the supply to those relationships and uh, continued relationships. So how do you view, just sticking with the the, um, the ceramics for now, how many people are you going out to? What are the size of the contracts that you would expect to do initially before that kind of ramp up kind of kicks in? We're, we're Matthew, we're about 70%, 70, 75% committed uh, for stage 1A, which is our first phase. We have probably interest for, I would say, at the 50% level for at least another Fifty to 60,000 tons, which is our target for stage 1B. And so that's the piece that we're working on right now. We realize that, you know, when we grow our company to 150,000 tons, you know, we will be, you know, essentially free in cash, you know, 42, 45% margin business, uh, and also self, potentially self-financing and self-funding from that point going forward. But from now until that point, we have to get up, we have to get the first 60,000 tons up and going. We have to fund that. We have to prove out all of the existing contracts that we have and start laying down the framework for the future. Right. And are you are you looking at, again just coming back to the the, the market because like you're right it's not, it's not gold it's not copper it's not nickel it's 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 kaolin and it's uh, probably less understood. But so the mar and the market you say you have to kind of define your own metrics in terms of um, you know well uh, the price that you want to sell at and the margins you hope to achieve. So. Um, are you displacing current suppliers, or is the market growing and there's this kind of um, there's a there's a supply gap that you're inserting yourself into? I mean, where, how, can you tell us a little bit about that? Two key factors, you know, uh, Matthew. The key, the first key issue is, you know, with the absence of Ukrainian kale and uh, and a big portion of that, especially in the Mediterranean, clearly there's a supply gap there. There's also a very big supply gap in China as the Hawasite-based kaolins are completely depleted. So there's a supply side issue, right? But at the same time, right, the demand side is growing by three to 5% CAGR in real terms, compounded annual growth. So we have that component as well. And what that's allowed us to do is we look at the kaolin market, high-end part of the kaolin market, maybe 2 million tons, right? 
the contestable market for a product like ours, you know, is a market share of about 30, 35%. So you, you have about five to 600,000 tons that's there that, that we are uniquely qualified and validated to participate in. And we just like to get there one step at a time. And that's our plan. Well, it, that, well, that's what I mean. It's, it, it, it's just, it's, you know, when you, when companies sometimes come on here, they think that they're going to just take over the market. I, I appreciate that kind of conservative um, and realistic approach um, from you. And with regards to the cement uh, uh, components, obviously um, ad- trials important, then adoption, and then again, trying to get that, that ramp up there. What portion of your future revenues are you assigning to the to the cement element so our our cement you know our concrete cement i should strategy, talk about is it concrete i'm i'm, I'm conflating yeah, slightly con- there apologies cement, if we're just to look at that uh if we look at to look at that piece you know there, there's probably you know a, a a a piece in there early on that's uh 35 35 to 40 percent uh part part of what we're what we're planning on doing and to some extent, Matthew, it depends, right? You know, is it is it going to be just as a rheology modifier, right, to to reduce the amount of water and coarse mix? Um, is it is it going to be more uh, upfront in the process where it has a bigger impact on on a low carbon? One of the things I like to tell people is, you know, look, kaolin's been used in ceramics for 25, 30 years, right? So as you as you enter into that market. People know what Carolyn is in terms of its, its applications into ceramics and porcelainware. We are just starting that process in cement and concrete. It's so difficult. It's, it's not difficult. It's challenging when you work in with established companies, right, who have established uh, recipes for building structures to, to, to work with them to consider a change in recipe, a change in approach that gives them lower carbon, but still the strength that they need to certify and be safe. So it's it's been a journey, but I think we're making very good progress. And um, typically, rheology modifiers uh, sold as minerals into cement and concrete. Uh, Matthews sell at three to four times a premium to industrial minerals. No, I I, I, I understand. I've worked with it before. Um, I, I guess therefore, can we expect you to be looking for strategic partners with their own kind of distribution? Uh, network, whether whether they be brands um, which kind of sell into different jurisdictions or 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 other, um, and if so, would they be coming in just at the 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 you know as as a product distributor, or could they come in as a strategic investor into your organization if if they felt that that was appropriate? Are you open minded to that? Yeah, we we are. Uh, and I think that to some extent, Matthew, depends on the market. Here in Australia, we have a you know we have an existing agreement in place with IMCD, world class uh, distributor of chemicals and industrial minerals. Um, we have a you know a very firm commitment from them to distribute these products into uh, the cement and concrete uh, market. We are working on the validation piece. They will work with us on the distribution piece because, as you can imagine, it's a relatively small volume, high price. Uh, product that is ideal for distribution. Having said that, when I look across to the European market, the European market has a very liquid carbon and a CO2 credit market. You can imagine cement concrete uh, uh, producers over there, the amount of money they have to spend in carbon offsets that they have to buy in order to continue to operate. You know, we've never factored that into our equation. We haven't factored that 
into our DFS. And you can imagine once we're fully validated and growing here in our own market, you know, what that value of this particular product could be in markets that have a liquid carbon uh, exchange or a carbon border adjustment mechanism, which is just going in place in Europe, all of a sudden the value of that product increases dramatically. Right. Okay. So, look, and I appreciate you can't get into too much detail like commercial sensitivities um, around some of the numbers with conversations that you are having, but you are going to need to have, a, a, I guess, a firm grip on that if you're talking about moving into FID and getting funding in place. Yeah, so in absolutely. terms of those conversations, are they um, advanced or, in a, or was it kind of case of subject to the DFS numbers coming through or are you starting now from, from fresh? No, Matthew, they're pretty well advanced. Pretty well advanced, and we're, um, we're we're pleased with the progress, and um, you know we're, we're we're keen to to bring that to to the stage where where we can uh, we can advance in in commercializing that product. It's it's going to be a very very important part, and very it's not only complementary, right? It's it actually can become a core part of our business. Fits very well with our ceramics business. The same plant, the same the same technology. So uh, a very key part of our focus here in. Um, you know, this quarter. Right. Okay. And and can you just give us a sense of the, the, the timing of, of this? Because obviously if I, if I look at the numbers of going back to the, the release, you talk about this, the, the CapEx numbers required there, uh, I assuming 60, 40, you know, d debt equity ratio here. So who are you talking to strategics? Um, are you talking to banks for the debt or, you know, and, and the equity there's, there's, I imagine a few, solutions around that because at a hundred million bucks company you, you don't want to make you know too many kind of dilutory decisions so what what are you kind of imagining or how are you imagining this getting financed so matthew we're, we're i would say uh advanced um very well advanced on on the debt side we had uh, the the debt data room open since june appreciating you know as you invite people in to take a look as debt providers, you know, just understanding kale and the technical risks, the markets, the rest of it. I mean, it, it takes time to the point I mentioned before, it's not gold or copper. But I always maintained at the time that we opened the debt data room, I always maintained, I said, look, we're not really going to to engage either cornerstones or strategics until we have the ability to properly reset the enterprise value of the company and, and, and make sure that we're having a proper discussion, right, based on value. Uh, although, of course, people will want to discount that value that we presented, but at least the rigor and the discipline is there. So there's interest on that side as well, and we're, we're I would say, uh, advancing those discussions um, at the same time. And, um, you know, we're, we're focused right now on, on wrapping up the debt component. Right. And in, in terms of the conversation, what, what kind of lends them comfort risk? Because obviously this is a kind of, you know, sub 10%, 9% IRR type company Um it's which which is you know it's it, it's of a certain type of investment profile but it does have this long uh mine life or um, in terms of like 28 years so is, is that the comforting factor is the well-established ceramics um uh, industry part of your strategy for giving comfort to funders i mean you get i'm just intrigued as to what their drivers are and what how you've had to react in terms of your strategy think, for think, being able to raise I that think money, for strategic for strategic funders, you know, uh, at the end of the day, it's an opportunity to, to get in at the beginning of building an industry, right? So we're talking about sixty thousand tons with a mining permit for three hundred thousand tons on a twenty eight line, twenty year mine life. 
which represents probably less than one-tenth of what we have to the north and to the south of us, right? The deposit to the south, Matthew, is better quality than what we currently have. We're drilling it out currently, and to the north, who knows? So it's sort of a, it's sort of like an industry, and it is, you can argue, as much a marketing project as a mining project because it's so consumer-driven. But the growth, right, the growth in terms of consumer demand for tiles, we look at the crystal and silica issue, the uh, Australian government's decision to ban dimensional stone, including granite and others, you know, porcelain, high-end porcelain, high-end tiles, exterior, interior, Southeast Asia, consumer preferences, the, the, the absolute uh, admiration of white, clean porcelain tiles, what we call Iter Blanco, and, and just the cultural uh, acceptance of that. I think, you know, when you're looking at 3 to 5% compounded annual growth rates, when you're looking at pricing, that's in real terms, you know, 3 three to 4%. And when you're looking at the Chinese market, you know, that is structurally in a 400 to 500,000 ton deficit, I think there's all, all the leading indicators, both on the macro and micro side, that strategic investors, and to some extent, retail investors, would, uh, would, would you know, would, would definitely love to latch on to Right. And so let's look at what your expectation is in terms of the reaction from the market. Obviously, you you kind of put the DFS out. I think it's well received, but that necessarily hasn't con converted into share price appreciation for you. So um, do you think people are waiting for the announcement from you that you've got your financing in place um, or more contracts? I mean, what, what, what do you think is going to kind of move the, the dial, as it were? My own view, Matthew, look, you know, we saw we were somewhere between 15 and 20% from the announcement of the DFS. Having said that, to your point, I think right now people are saying, look, you know, we understand the story. We understand the commercial strategy. Bob, you've been talking about that for the last four, four or five months. We validated those products. We see each other on the backside. Having said all that, you know, I think right now, you know, it's about funding. It's about assurances of funding. And it's about, you know, that first piece, which is, you know, uh, you know a, a debt provider, that provides that base of the pyramid for us to uh, to to essentially bring it home, right? And and I think that's what the market is looking at. You know, appreciate also this time of year. You know, it's reporting season in Australia, and you know maybe we're not getting the coverage we should be getting. But having said all that, really at the end of the at the end of the day, I think it's about finishing off that first piece, finishing off that validation, bringing all that together, and providing the clarity and the transparency both to our existing and new investors. Um, to see, you know, to see where we're going to go next, right? And 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 just, and so just just face. I'm just trying to sort of address some of the concerns that people have kind of sent in with us, which is um, when you talk about Asia focus, you're talking about broad Asia. This isn't a China only solution for you guys, presumably. Is that right? Yeah, you know, look, the architectural tiles in China are actually a very small part of the market. It's a very you know commodity market. It's the kind of tiles you would buy at Bunnings or a hardware store. It's not really our market. There's five or six large, big architectural players. We're happy uh, to participate in the Chinese market. And this is why we chose a distributor for China. It's such a huge, uh, you know, segmented market. It's almost a 10 to 11% compounded annual growth rate for KL in China. But in, imagine in medical, pharmaceuticals, all types of small uh, end uses that you really need a distribution channel. High-end porcelain, mostly Japan, tiles, fruits and glazes, Southeast Asia will be the focus. And the key thing here, Matthew, is that a lot of the plants that produce those tiles, fruits and glazes in Southeast Asia are Spanish and Italian multinationals or licensees of Spanish and Italian multinationals 
who are formulating those recipes for those plants back home. And that fits very well into our strategy. And we're keen to- So can uh, we expect to see the, can we expect to see the funding debt and, and otherwise, whatever alternative solutions you've got, um, coming out of Australia or Europe, or is were you looking you know, up to Asia? For we that? have look. We have a lot of interest. Um, a lot of interest. Uh, obviously at home uh, here in Australia, but also uh, I would say also in Europe. Um, I think I think I think the European piece is driven to some extent just by the geopolitical issues, right? Uh, could be also foreign exchange uh, is kind of favorable as well right now, especially if you're a European investor with the Aussie dollar. Um, so, so we're we're on both sides of that. You know, I'll I'll be over for the Italian ceramic show in September. We'll be visiting and, and uh, conducting several investor days across uh, across Europe, really to meet investor demand. Right? This wasn't part of my plan, but you know, there's investors and producers and customers. Who would, who would welcome um, you know uh, a better explanation introduction of who Andrade is? Okay, okay. So I, I, from that sense, it's, it'll be probably co- conventional debt. You're not looking at strategics per se, but they would be welcome if if they you know are, are keen. Um, in which case, I'm wondering um, how do they feel about the kind of ceramics versus um, concrete mix of the company going forward? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, I, you, we have uh, we, we have competitors here in Australia, very you know successful companies. WA is, is doing a great job. You know, but but they are you know essentially wall clays, lower quality in paper plastics, uh, and and paint. And people always ask me that. They say, hey, how you're not participating in those markets, right? So part of the challenge, Matthew, has been educating people, educating uh, investors, customers, stakeholders, shareholders. Um, you know our our own key partners in in uh, in Streaky Bay, Puchura, and Mier Peninsula, just for them to understand exactly what we're talking about. And I think whether you're talking to an institutional investor, a retail investor, or someone in a small town that's wondering what you're doing, at the end of the day, KON is not something that's very well understood, and that's part of the challenge we have. You know, challenge we have today, but also the challenge we have going forward. Is making sure people understand, you know, you know, what's the value here, and what's the use, and, and why is it so interesting, and why is it so unique compared to all other industrial minerals? We produce a lot of zircon in Australia, right? Uh, people know a lot about it. Lucas had an incredible, incredible success story. There are other juniors that are doing very, very well. Ultimately, we'll be in the same space with zircon, but no one's ever heard of Kim. So, so that's well, I think uh, that's that was my. my- yeah, well, I think that was my point earlier in terms of the, the, the market, I'm talking about the investor community, the industry obviously knows about it, but I, I guess you have that lucky uh, phase now where you'll simply just on revenue, uh, not necessarily an understanding of what the underlying commodity is. So uh, I appreciate your time today, Bob. That was, that was a good insight and good kind of catch up with the company um, again. Um, and best of luck going forward. Hey, Matthew, thank you very much. Thanks for your time and uh, all the best to you and your subscribers. Thank you. Appreciate it.